I just wanted to read from Psalm 103, a few verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And down in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So Lord, we thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that heals us from all our diseases. You're the one that gives us every blessing and every good thing in our life. So we pray that we could be like you and be a blessing to others, Lord. Be a giver, not a taker. Be a lover, not a hater. Be a peacemaker, not a cynic, Lord. Be willing to lay down our life, God, for others. We thank you for your presence today, and we pray for you would encourage each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming today. It's a different type of a service. We're going to have a video sermon from Craig, first time in history. We're making a lot of history here. <laughs> and um, I'm going to have Kent come forward. He's going to give us a testimony uh, and share a couple things in the area of evangelism. So let's welcome Kent. Amen. Thanks, Keith. Well, welcome, everybody. You feel special, don't you, that you made it here? I know. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm here. Um, I try to encourage everybody every other week uh, about evangelism. And uh, my wife and I just got back a week ago from Zihuatanejo, uh, Mexico. It was the first time I went to Mexico that wasn't a mission trip. We actually went just to relax and uh, you know, as a Christian, wherever you go, it becomes a mission trip. It's just how the nature of it, you know, you end up uh, getting involved with whatever the Lord is doing in that area. Even if you don't want to, you will. God will find you and he will use you. And so we had a great time. We met a pastor that has an English-speaking church, the only one in Zihuatanejo, in a Mr. Lula's burger joint. So that's, they call it the hamburger church. And so you can go there to church in the morning and stay and have a burger when it's over. And, um, but he's reaching, you know, the Americans and uh, some Canadians and some of the local uh, Mexican people that are learning English. Uh, they also do outreach down there. We went on a Friday night where they gather um, young people at a park where they play basketball. And this young pastor, uh, Juan, uh, he and his wife go there. They invite the kids and they teach them English. And they've got about 15 kids that show up from middle school to high school. And so they invited us to go there too. Uh, my English isn't great and uh, I don't speak any Spanish. So I was there praying and helping the best way that I could. But uh, it was an amazing outreach because they, they stayed to learn English because that's really important to them. And then his wife will say, if you want to stay, I'm going to do a Bible story. And they all stay. They always all stay. 
And so she teaches them a Bible story. And then what they do is they're teaching them a, a Bible story play that they're all going to be a part of in English. And once they learn the play, they invite all their family and friends to come down to the park and they perform the play for them and share the gospel with them. And so, you know, it's just, I had never thought of an outreach like that, but what a great way to reach out in the neighborhood. They also have, um, the good side is there's beautiful beaches there um, and it's, it's an older community there. So if you are self-conscious about your body image, you will feel very comfortable on the beach there. I can, <laughs> I can swear to that and uh, it was wonderful. The food's amazing, prices are right. But about 60% of the community lives in poverty and about 10% of the community lives in extreme poverty. So there's, you know, they've got the garbage dump where the kids are out there picking around looking for food. Um, it's that bad. So there's never a way to get away from sharing your faith, helping needy people. I mean, wherever we go, and uh, I'm not saying it's not good to get away and just relax because we did relax down there. And uh, you can get a one-hour massage on the beach for 20 bucks. I'm telling you, it's, it, that was worth the price of admission right there. So, But I want to encourage you to share your faith. We had uh, last year some friends of ours were down there. They led the hostess, the, gal, the receptionist, at the place we stayed at. They led her to the Lord, and they discipled her through the Alpha program last year, if you've heard of that. This year, while we were there, we had a chance to meet Blanca, she was our server there, and Blanca gave her life to Christ. And now uh, our friends that stayed on there for the winter, they're discipling her uh, in their RV down there. So it's just wonderful to see what God is doing. And we need to do that here too, right, in our neighborhoods and with our families. And one other plug I want to put in, and then if somebody has a testimony where you got to share your faith this week, I want you to come up. But we have this summer coming up, uh, the Sturgis Free Bike Wash. And most of you have heard about it. We go out there and wash motorcycles for free during the bike rally and uh, share the love of Jesus with people and pray with people. And you can go online and get the information. It's Sturgis Free Bike Wash. And be sure to put free in there because if you just get Sturgis Bike Wash, you may see things you don't want to see. So it's Sturgis Free Bike Wash. That's the one. And during this time of, you know, people avoiding one another and the lines at stores and everything that's happening, what you and I have to offer is we have Jesus. And you know, you hear that, you know, a number of people are dying from the coronavirus. You know, it's really not sad that people are dying because we know we're all going to die. What's sad is, is that people are dying without Christ. That's the sad part. You know, there are no guarantees in this life. And what we can bring into this thing is we bring the peace of the Lord. And I think there's wisdom. We don't want to be foolish and coughing in people's face if we're not feeling good and all that. But we bring peace in and we say, you know what, if you're afraid, and that's what people are right now, they're so afraid of this thing and they're so afraid of what's happening to the economy and we can come in and say, you know what, the Lord hasn't changed. He still loves you. We're here for you. We're going to help you all we can. Um, we still have to reach out to sick people. You know, that's what the Lord's asked us to do, hasn't he? Take care of the sick. Take care of the needy. So we're here for them in whatever capacity that means. And that is also a touch point for evangelism. So I want to encourage you. And I hope if you're here today and you're afraid, um, trust the Lord. I, I don't know how else to say that. Pray and say, Lord, give me peace about this. Because some people are more prone to, 
you know, they're nervous about their body and they're more nervous about death than other Christians. So I, I'm, not, I'm not shaming you for that. I'm just saying the Lord is there for you too, so. All right, well, a lot going on here. We're going to have Craig come up on video here pretty soon, but I wanted to share a couple things with you um, prior to that. Um, first of all, um, I just want to clarify what's happening and why it's happening. We're going to go to, like, online services um, starting next Sunday. Um, and the reason is not that we're, we're all afraid and we're all freaking out. The reason is just try to be wise and diligent and to, to honor and respect what our, our, our governor's uh, medical office is asking us to do is to kind of limit meetings that are larger because with, with any kind of a, a virus, you know, it's just a law of numbers, right? The more people are here, uh, the more possibly there could be someone that's here that could be affecting others. And so the goal is not to, like, for the rest of the year, we're not going to meet because we're afraid. But uh, in these situations, if you look at the numbers in every country, including the USA, not necessarily in Minnesota yet, but in the USA, uh, it's starting to go exponential in growth. Uh, in China, it flattened out because they took some measures. So the goal is to, to kind of mitigate that growth. And if you, you limit people meeting together in large groups, then you can limit that. And I was talking, Linnea Larson, wave your hand. She's, she's going to graduate with a master's degree in public health and epidemiology. Is that right? Epidemiology. Epidemiology. Uh, she's very clear. I have not graduated yet, but it's happening. Uh, she works for the Minnesota Department of Health and um, is on the hotlines answering questions. So if you have questions about this, talk to her from a public health standpoint. Um, but we're just going to cancel... Uh, large group meetings, and I want to emphasize large group meetings, uh, and any meetings that Craig is involved with, because Craig has asthma, his wife has asthma, several of his children have asthma, and so we just don't want to um, expose him uh, to, and his family to, um, to anything like this. So, so hopefully for, for several weeks, um, if all of Minnesota kind of follows these guidelines, will, the graph will not, the graph will just kind of flatten out here in our state, in our city, and that's what we're trying to do. So I just want to clarify why we're doing what we're doing, and uh, um, I hope you can join us. Uh, we're trying to figure out how to do the online thing well so that it works well, and uh, we sh we'll have that figured out for, for next week. I also wanted to read a, a a note from Kevin Peterson. Kevin was planning, Kevin and Lori were planning on being here. Kevin is a physician. Um, he's actually works at the hospital. And um, unfortunately, both Kevin and Lori came down with, not with a virus, not a coronavirus, but um, stomach virus from their grandkids <laughs> that they take care of. Uh, so unfortunately, he could not be, but he wrote this, and I just want to read it to you. Um, Kevin Peterson here. Sorry I cannot be with you folks in person. I started having some GI symptoms last night, uh, and my wife Lori also had them. Uh, Lori has been caring for a couple of her grandchildren with some disease I can't pronounce, gastroenteritis, is that right? This past week, and we probably picked it up from them. So this morning we are doing what we told that we, what we're told is wise and staying home when you're sick. I wanted to say something briefly as a frontline worker in the healthcare system. I work as a hospitalist in a small Twin Cities community hospital. I've been very impressed with how our organization has prepared for the coronavirus. And over the past week, we've seen firsthand how this has put 
been put into practice actually caring for patients who come in with respiratory or other symptoms that might be consistent with the coronavirus. This past Monday, we had five such patients admitted to our hospital. We took extra work caring for these patients by nurses, aides, physicians, because of the protective e equipment that must be used. But thankfully, within 28, 24 to 48 hours, all the coronavirus testing came back negative. I was very impressed with the professionalism of the staff. We know we tend to hear about lots of problems with our healthcare system, but from, from firsthand experience, I think we have an excellent system, especially when it comes to being a curative system and having very well-trained people. Yesterday, also, the Minnesota Department of Health showed up at our hospital just to make sure that we were doing things correctly. And it's also very encouraging to know that our government is taking this seriously and trying to give practical advice and help to those who need it in dealing with the coronavirus. So that's from Kevin Peterson. Um, I know Daly uh, is a, a pathologist, uh, um, the head of pathology at the U of M. Um, if you guys have questions about him, <laughs> for him, about this for him, we've got a lot of experts here uh, helping us work through this. I just wanted to say a couple more words before um, we show the video with Craig. We, we do want to encourage small groups. If you're not uh, in a at-risk group, as we mentioned in our email, uh, you know, small groups, it's just a numbers game, as I mentioned earlier. Small groups are, are fine. We, this might be a great time to um, connect more deeply with people in your small groups. Uh, we are considering uh, continuing our Sunday morning prayer meetings, um, uh, even though we're not having services here. So we're going to talk. Uh, we need to talk. I need to talk with Kent and Craig about that uh, possibility, but it could be a great time uh, for prayer for us. And if, and if the prayer, prayer meeting group gets really big, then we'll split into smaller groups in different rooms in the church. Uh, it'll be a great thing. I think God has great things for us during these days. Um, so just uh, as one of your pastors and elder, I just wanted to share a couple words. Um, one scripture from 2 Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. And so if you have the spirit of God in you, that's a gift he's given to you. He's given to you a spirit of, of power and love and a sound mind. So I encourage you to walk in that spirit and to carry that spirit with people around you that are afraid. People that are walking. If you watch the news stories throughout the day, you're going to start panicking. I mean, there's been over a billion news stories on this since it, since it came. It swamps anything else in history. Um, many people are fearful. There is a lot of uncertainty. You might be fearful. As Kent and others said, you know, we do not um, belittle you if you're fearful. It's, it's natural to be afraid of, of unknown things. But with that fear, we can turn to the one who gives hope, the one who gives healing and uh, receive comfort and grace from him. Um, in some sense, a little fear is good. It helps us to be careful. I'm afraid when I get next to a cliff. I'm afraid to get too close to the edge of the cliff. You know, it's good to like, okay, be wise, as long as the fear is not, you know, just paralyzing fear. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus said, do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so we can walk with him as overcomers. Um.
The other thing is, you know, the, the name of our church is Sojourn Campus Church. Sojourn means a temporary dwelling place, right? That's what Sojourn means. And, and what that means for us is we, this earth is a temporary dwelling place. Our home is in heaven. We have the hope of eternal life. Um, we don't need to fear death by whatever means it comes from. We know that Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. Um, my father's mansion has many rooms. So we need to keep just the internal um, perspective in place. I'll just end by saying, um, let's use this time to really be loving and serving and giving and, and really go deep in our faith and really go deep with one another and um, see what God can do. God works all things together for good. And so um, I'm really looking forward to what God is going to do during these days in his kingdom. I believe he's going to add to his kingdom. I believe he's going to deepen our faith. He's going to draw us closer together with one another. Uh, so let's pray for that. So Lord, we just offer our lives up to you. We, um, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you love us. And we want to be your people for such a time as this, that care, that love, that give. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so with that, we are going to roll a video here. Craig Kruger. Hello, Sojourn. Never done this before, but uh, greetings. We're glad to be in connection. Uh, first, a little word about the COVID-19. It's a unique situation. It's a rare danger in our lifetime. Most of us have not had to worry about infectious disease very much but it's also a rare opportunity. And so it's a pandemic. You've heard about this, but I just want to give my perspective. It's more serious than an influenza because it is very contagious and it can be caught and carried without any symptoms. And it's particularly a danger to certain groups, older people and people with certain conditions. Uh, I've heard there's also uh, high hospitalization of those who are affected as high as 30% and a percentage percentage of those can get permanent damage. So it's a, it's a serious thing that we want to take seriously. Uh, so what should we do as Christians? Well, I think, first of all, to love our neighbor. And to love our neighbor here, first of all, I think, means to follow the guidelines and to minimize large gatherings. And so the governor has asked us to do this, and I think it's wise anyway. We were considering it before he put out his declaration. Uh, and they want to minimize the speed of the transmission of the disease as well as to reduce the seriousness um, and so, uh, and maybe reduce the numbers affected. So we're doing that. We're, we're going to not have public services after this Sunday. Uh, we will have a sermon and maybe some worship online regularly. So I encourage you, along with loving your neighbor, by just being careful, be wise. Obviously, do use good cleaning habits and and uh, when you do that, you're really helping everyone. It's important. Uh, we will want to watch for those with special needs and may have needs for special care. And so be thinking about people in this congregation, others that may be isolated or not have anyone that can care for them. We may have more specifics about that in the future. Uh, but finally, regarding this, offering hope. Uh, my hope is in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at Jeremiah 15, 19 a little later here. And he talks about bringing worthwhile words. We have the greatest hope there is that Jesus Christ has died for us. We have life with God. We have eternal life beginning right now, going on forever. 
And so there's a peace and a joy that we can have in crisis that can really feed and bring life to other people. So I encourage you to be sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with people and that confident response can help bring down. Many are fearful and very nervous and frightened. And I think that as we are calm and confident in Christ, we can really help people to be assured and trust and walk wisely and carefully. But that witness that we have in these moments could actually lead some to eternal life that would never consider Jesus otherwise. Their fear, their concern may open them to what we have to share. So I encourage you to do that. So having said that, we are going to continue our series on the book of Jeremiah. Been talking about postmodern, postmodernism, excuse me. So today we're going to talk about worthy words. Life must be built on truth. Truth is not arbitrary, but it flows from God's very nature. When many in society depart from truth, damage results. We see it all over. What can God do? The interesting thing about the book of Jeremiah is we see some of God's challenges, so to speak. What can we do? How does change come? So let's look at Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 19 to 21. And I'll read, actually I'll read my translation. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I also will return to you. You will stand before me. And if you bring forth worthwhile words and not worthless words, you will be like my mouth. Then they must return to you, but you must not return to them. I'll give you to this people like a wall of fortified bronze, and they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, because I am with you to save and deliver you, says the Lord. I'll deliver you from the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the palm of the adversaries. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that whatever may happen in our lives, when we are your people, when we have your heart, when we really trust in you, we can bring forth worthy words. So we pray today as we consider what this looks like, that you'd bless your word, bless your people, and bring us into your heart and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so again, the larger issue we're dealing with here today is what do we do when we're faced with entrenched sin and apostasy? So yeah, we're thinking about society, but really we're thinking about what happens when the church is trapped in sin or apostasy. We're moving into the second section of Jeremiah today. Jeremiah 1 to 10 that we've been looking at was a digest of Jeremiah's theology, and I encourage you to review that. In chapters 11 to 20, this will continue, but now there'll be many more laments, similar lessons, but more emotional reactions on Jeremiah's part, his personal response, and then God's response to him, and we'll see that today, in fact. Just to give you a feel for this lament section in Jeremiah 11 to 20, I wanted to read one of the first verses and one of the last verses, which will give you a flavor for this lament section. So chapter 11, verse 3 said, says, Cursed is the man who does not obey the terms of this covenant. So part of the lament section is talking about the sin, the problem of sin in Judah. But then also at the end of that section, chapter 20, verse 18, Jeremiah's response to the sin and the hesitation and unwillingness to really respond to his message. He says in verse 18, 
Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? So he's just so frustrated. Here God set him apart as a prophet. He has a word for these people, but it seems like nothing is happening. And so we see Jeremiah's despair at being, he feels like one person standing against a whole nation that's in sin. So we're going to glance through Jeremiah 14 and 15. They're all one sermon. You can look at it later and see that. We'll kind of walk through the verses of 14 and 15, and then we'll land again toward the end. So our question again is, how do we respond to entrenched sin and apostasy? And so the first question is, well, maybe confession. Will confession work? So in chapter 14, 1 to 6, they are lamenting a drought they're having. And in verse 7, they make a confession, verses 7, 8, and 9. And here's God's response to their confession in verse 10. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I'll destroy them. Um, and the idea here is that they're confessing, but they don't mean it. They pray, but they're not really seeking God. So God says, don't pray for blessing on the insincere. So this is really interesting. I think Christians today, sometimes we think, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I confess, and it's all better. And God's saying here, not if it's not sincere. Yeah, we have sin. We have things we struggle with. The sincere confession and repentance, yes. But this insincere confession, no, it will not help. So how do we respond to entrenched sin? What about positive thinking? So verse 13, uh, something we sometimes forget. Jeremiah is not the only prophet in these days. There's some other guys that have a much better message. They have a very positive message. Verse 13, but I said, ah, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them, you'll not see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I'll give you lasting peace in this place. Now again, we have Jeremiah, and he's the only one of all these prophets who we can read his writings. But these other guys were saying, hey, life's going to be good. God's going to restore peace, peace. So here's a window into what Jeremiah was up against. He's calling for sincere return to covenant, and these other prophets are making happy talk. Later we'll see, later not today, but later in the series, we'll see a story of a guy named Pasher actively opposing Jeremiah. And this is also similar to today. Many people want to give a message that feels good and encourages people no matter what their attitude is toward God. Now, we have good news. Jesus died to give us life, forgive us, and bring us close to God. What is our part? Our part is humble confession, deep trust, and to begin obedience, no matter how imperfect. God honors us with the need for genuine repentance. In other words, we matter. And God demonstrates that we matter. He's not utterly sovereign like we're puppets, but we need to trust and surrender every day. So happy talk alone won't do it. So Jeremiah brings it up a notch. Again, our question, so how do we respond to entrenched sin and apostasy? 
How about grieving sin and the results? So in verses 17 and 18, speak this word to them. Let my eyes overflow with tears. Night and day without ceasing, for my virgin daughter, my people, have suffered a grievous wound, a crushing blow. If I go into the country, I see those slain by the sword. If I go into the city, I see the ravages of famine. Both prophet and priest have gone to a land they know not, predicting the exile. Well, that sounds right. So in verses 19 to 22 of chapter 14, they make a profound confession. They say, is there no hope? They confess. They say, remember your covenant. Uh, you're our source. It's a great confession. It's really modeled on Moses himself. And how does God respond to their confession? A sincere lament. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. In verse 2, if they ask you, where shall we go? Tell them this is what the Lord says. To those destined for death to death, for those to the sword to the sword, those for starvation to starvation, those for captivity to captivity. So a very sober word. This is shocking. Why? Verse 4. I will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. In other words, the answer is because of Manasseh and his sins. Now, this is something very hard to absorb. I'll give you a little idea of what's going on here. I'm going to read to you from 2 Kings 21, verses 1 to 6. And we'll learn a little bit about King Manasseh. So king Manasseh says he was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. <laughs> he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole. So this is the male and female fertility god and goddess. Uh, which included sexual rituals to try to guarantee fertility. He bowed down to all the starry host and worshipped them. So that's the uh, astrology. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry host, practiced, he sacrificed his own son in the fire. This would be child sacrifice in some national emergency, killing his son practicing sorcery and divination and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And then also in verse 16 of that chapter, moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end besides the sin he caused Judah to commit. So they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So think about this guy. His father Hezekiah brought renewal in Isaiah's day. His grandson, Josiah, did the same early in Jeremiah's life. But his idolatry was so profound that it set Judah on a course that only judgment could heal. It's very hard for us to grasp. In other words, there are times in every society when God lets the power of sin have free reign and self-destruction or external destruction occur. 
Now, we never know when that's the case in a society that we would live in. I don't think it's the case now. I certainly hope not for New America. But it raises now at a very profound level how do we respond to entrenched sin and apostasy when it looks like even sincere repentance and confession by a remnant can't change anything? Well, how does Jeremiah respond? Verse 10, he's grieved. Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. He wishes he'd never been born. I can appreciate this, right? Uh, you know, here, the guy's called to preach the word of God from birth, really has no choice other than to say yes. I mean, he could rebel, right? But when he does that, he says the word of God burns in him. He can't stand it. And now he's told the judgment's going to come anyway. And the natural question is, then why? <laughs> why was I born? So then verse 11, God says, I'll deliver you. And, but verses 12 to 14, he says, but I'm going to judge Judah anyway. So nearly our last verses, 15 to 18, he is frustrated. You understand, O Lord. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your name. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers. I never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was upon me. And you'd filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? Will you be to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails? So now he's to the point he's so grieved, he's going to accuse God. He's angry and hurting. He suffered reproach. He's received God's word. He resisted sin. Why is he in so much pain? Verse 18, why did you deceive me when you called me? Now his, his perspective is distorted now. You can go back and read Jeremiah chapter 1. God didn't deceive him. God told him it was going to be like this. He told him he was going to fight against a whole nation, but he is so disillusioned that he feels like God has deceived him. And here we have the core source of disillusionment in ministry, your ministry and my ministry, wrong expectations. Sometimes you think, well, if I do this, I'll see people saved and healed. I'll be successful. If I pray this way or I memorize these verses, my marriage will be perfect, my kids will come out right, my career, my life, my ministry, it'll all come right. It's all for you, God. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you ever been disillusioned with ministry? I have. Did God ever break what you thought were the rules? How does God respond? Let's read our verses again from the beginning. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, NIV says, if you return, God says, I'll return to you. You'll stand before me. And if you bring forth worthwhile words and not worthless words, you will be like my mouth. Then they must return to you. Excuse me, yeah, but you must not return to them. I'll make you like a wall of fortified bronze. They'll fight against you but not overcome you because I'm with you to save and deliver you, says the Lord. So there's a pun here. The Hebrew word shuv, 
the word in NIV, repent, restore, and turn to, are all the same word. If you return, I'll return to you, and you will stand before me. Jeremiah, then what's he repenting of? Just his disillusionment, his cynicism. Return to Yahweh, and you will stand before me. Now, in context, look at verse 5, chapter 15, verse 1. Earlier, he's talking about intercession. If even Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to these people. What's he talking about? Moses stood before God when the Israelites sinned with respect to the golden calf. And what was remarkable, if you read Exodus 32, 33, and 34, you'll see that God forgave the people without any repentance. He promised to go with them based on prayer alone. And so he's alluding to that here and saying, I'm not going to do that again. Samuel said, far be it for me to, um, to not pray for you, right, to, to fail God. And so he, he says, if you return, if you get rid of that cynicism, that disillusionment, come back to me. He says, I'll come back to you. And he says, and you will stand before me. What's the idea? The idea is it's the hint of verse 1, that you will have a place of intercession. Now, I've been through this. I've talked to many of you who, especially those that are really most devoted, seeking to love people, make a difference, pour yourself out in ministry. And there's times when you feel like, what's going on? I've, I've given everything. <laughs> it's not happening the way I expected. If you return, you just give up that cynicism, give up that disillusionment. He says, you will stand in the place of intercession again. Doesn't mean that God's going to avert the judgment that Jeremiah didn't want to see happen, but he did have a place of praying for the people of God. You'll stand before me. Then he says, they must return to you, but you must not return to them. I think we understand what that means. Israel had to move toward the Lord and toward what Jeremiah was saying, but Jeremiah could not move toward them. And we feel this today as well, right? That when there's so much pressure against biblical faith and to be holding to the word and holding to biblical standards around sexuality, whatever it might be, is so much pressure just to compromise a little bit and to return to them. But no, he says, they must return to you. When you're holding up truth, you're not doing it arrogantly, right? We just, we're just trusting God's word. But when we hold up truth, saying they must return to you, that's where life is. You must not turn to them. Don't compromise the truth. And then he says, if you utter worthy, precious, valuable, not worthless words. And this is kind of tough for us. Real easy to, you know, kind of help, hope they see Jesus in my merch, right? I got my band merch or whatever. <laughs> but he's saying, when truth fails, words are the power of salvation. And you know, in this current crisis with the COVID virus, of course, our deeds must come first. But you know, your words could be the power of salvation for someone that might never consider Jesus at another time in their life. When moral compromise and truth construction multiply, we have to speak truth. And so, again, encouraging you as always, fill your mind, your heart, your life with truth. Speak truth to one another. Memorize scripture. Do all of those things, right? So he needs to do that. But the third step here, beyond turning back to the Lord and filling himself with truth is to endure. And this is where verse 20, he says, I'll make you like an impregnable wall of bronze. 
And why bronze? Well, to them, you know, they had mainly stone or clay walls. Uh, they didn't have the concrete we have. And he's saying, I'll make you the strongest thing they could think of. You'll be a wall of bronze. They will not overcome you. So all you've got to do, God's saying, is if you endure, God will rescue you. He'll make you strong enough. Jeremiah felt what we feel. God did understand, and he understands today. So what do we learn from all this? How do we respond to entrenched sin and apostasy in our day? Obviously, it's right to personally confess sin, to lament, but there's times when a society at large may not be able to be saved. I'm not saying that's true of ours, but maybe, we don't know. In that, what's God doing? He's building a remnant. He's saying, don't give in to ministry burnout, disillusionment, discouragement, but rather, again, reading our passage, if you repent, I'll restore you, that you may stand before me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I'll make you a wall of bronze. They'll fight against you, but not overcome you, for I'm with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked, redeem you from the grasp of the cruel. So here's an opportunity. We return to Jesus, fill your heart and mind and mouth with truth and endure. So if you're weary of soul, if you're disillusioned, no matter how things look now, life must be built on truth. Truth is not arbitrary. It flows from God's very nature. We're seeing the result when many depart from truth, damage comes. What can God do? What he can do is use the people who turn from disillusionment, who turn from weariness of soul. Who might you be called to influence, to strengthen? In these unusual days of restricted travel and interaction, maybe your compassion your care, your connection to God in all this may be the key to someone's life. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would flow through our lives, that you give us the boldness to be those walls of bronze, to hold on to truth, to give up any disillusionment or discouragement we may feel, to love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all.